Uh, we'll go ahead and call to order this meeting of the Iowa City Climate Action Commission. Um, as an announcement, we do need to dismiss somewhat early at 4.50 as there is a meeting in here at 5. So try and get out a few minutes early. Um, we'll go ahead and do roll call. Uh, start events here. Einan Lynch, is she going to be? She was going to try to attend online, so we'll all keep an eye on the screen. Gade? Here. Frazier? Here. Ms. Simmons? Here. Krieger? Here. Brenda? Here. Grim? Here. Is there anybody attending? And then we'll just run through staff. Sarah Gardner, present. Daniel Bissell, present. Megan Hill, present. And Andrew Parr. <laughs> uh, we'll go ahead and go for the approval of the March uh, 6, 2023 minutes. Is there a motion to approve? I motion to approve. I'll second the motion. And Sarah, it looks like Jesse and Michael are both waiting. Thank you. We'll go ahead and note that Jesse Leckband and Michael Annan Lynch joined virtually. Welcome, Jesse. Welcome, Michael. Are you both able to hear us? You both unmuted, so we'll take that as a yes. <laughs> Looks like they're talking, but we can't hear them. Oh, no. Your sound is silence. Oh, at the, at the bottom. Bottom right. On top of everything else that has happened today, this is a brand new laptop. Oh, no. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> Jesse, Michael, are you able to hear us? You can hear us, but you can't see us. Okay. Um, we may have to tough it out. This is a brand new laptop. Our cable staff was in here to the last minute trying to get us hooked up. So we'll uh, just make it a point, everyone, as you're speaking, to identify yourself by name so that they know. Um, we're at approval of the minutes, I believe. Yes. So we second? Yes. Okay. Motion to approve. Any discussion? Vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 Passes. No public. And then we'll go to staff for announcements. All right. Several announcements for today. Um, we'll begin with the action items from the last meeting. Um, they were listed as sending the link to the Resilience Hub resources. Hopefully you all received that email and were able to look over it. Um, I'll just mention, since it's related, later on in announcements, we talk about working group updates. We don't have any from the Resilience Hub working group. Uh, that's on me. We just didn't get around to getting it scheduled. But that does create an opportunity for any of you who've taken a look at that and uh, want to pass along some feedback to that uh, to a Resilience Hub working group member. Feel free to do so. Um, and hopefully, we'll have that update for you at the next meeting then. Um, Daniel Bissell was to set a meeting for the committee to review the climate action grant applications. I don't believe that meeting has been set yet. We're still receiving um, the 
applications for it. So once those are in, he'll follow up. That'll be a carryover item. And then um, Daniel was also going to share the Climate Action Grant social media post to commission members so that you could post them. Hopefully you all received that email as well. Great. All right. The next item is upcoming events. Um, the first item actually happened this weekend. Uh, that was our Earth Expo, which is put together by our AmeriCorps team. Um, attendance was a little light owing to the women's basketball team and severe weather. <laughs> literally a perfect storm. Um, but we just wanted you to be aware that that was happening as are several additional AmeriCorps uh, events that take place you know, regularly. You can always find those at icgov.org slash Green Iowa. Um, our neighborhood energy blitz is still scheduled for April 22nd. Uh, we're hoping to get a few more volunteers signed up. So if you know anybody who'd be interested, please do feel free to pass that along to them or uh, put us in touch. And particularly if you know any groups who are interested, we've started getting requests from community groups and we're happy to put that information in their hands so volunteers can sign up as well. Um, we are going to do a special in honor of Earth Month Speaking of Live. Up till now, all our Speaking of events have been held online. This is going to be our first one in person. We are holding it at Big Grove um, because we're going to talk about plastics, and I feel like I need to have beer within reach to tackle such a frustrating topic. <laughs> um, so if anybody would like to attend, you're certainly welcome to join us for that um, or let others, folks who are interested in plastics, which feels like everyone, know. And then finally, there were more Earth Month events happening than could possibly fit into the agenda. The University of Iowa, um, the Sustainability Office has just done a fantastic job of keeping a running list of all those events. So we put a link to that in here. Um, in particular, though, I do want to call out one event um, we were emailed about this morning, and that's being sponsored by the Hubble Law School. Um, it is a happy hour also at Big Grove on April 14th, and they wanted us to extend an invitation to Climate Action Commission members specifically. So when you go there, if you want to take note of the uh, April 14th event being held there, it does not get you off the hook for attending our event at Big Grove. Uh, you can just get excited about an opportunity to go twice. Sarah, thank you for including that link. And if anyone has any other events that they'd like us to add, we certainly can do that. Um, in fact, John, I think a member of the UNA contacted us um, just in the last couple of days about an event, and I noticed that wasn't yet on. I but, added it today. Oh, fantastic. Perfect. Um, the next item under announcements you saw listed um, in the agenda packet, there was a memo from Stephanie Bowers, who is our human rights director. Um, this is about an intercultural development inventory opportunity. This is actually something that the Human Rights Commission themselves went through and found to be a very valuable exercise. Um, and one of their recommendations for um, this year is to try to engage a few other boards and commissions to go through it. They hope to do it on an annual basis. The Climate Action Commission was one of the uh, commissions that was at the top of the list for that opportunity. Um, it sounds really valuable. Uh, uh, Stephanie was going, hoping to be here so that she could answer any questions, but today being today, she's not. You can email her or call her um, if you do have any questions, or you can ask now and we can answer them to the best of our ability. But I would say that just as staff, we strongly encourage members of the commission to uh, sign up and participate in this. And it would be really great, I think, if the commission as a whole would do so. Um, 
and we can discuss you know whether you'd like to do that or not but i think the value of these kinds of trainings really you see when like everybody does it as opposed to a few folks so hey sir what's the commitment for that is it couple hours or I don't even think it's a couple hours I think there is um, a questionnaire that you fill out um, and Stephanie told me th that takes about 30 to 40 minutes um, and then uh, there's a follow-up call with the person who evaluates it to talk about where you scored highly and where you didn't and to offer resources to follow up you know um, to increase your cultural competency. It's completely anonymous. We will never see your results. Other members of the commission will never see your results. Um, this is one of the reasons why I want to say, like we encourage you strongly to do it because in honesty, we won't know if you did or not. Um, but it's a really great and opportunity. In fact, what Stephanie said to me was that several members of the Human Rights Commission went through it and were surprised by how they scored on it and found that they had areas to grow in and really valued the resources that were presented to them and just knowing how important equity is to our work and to you all as individuals. I think that's why we want to really encourage you to participate. Uh, this is Krieger. I will say I, when I saw that on the agenda, I went ahead and reached out to her this morning. Um, and she said that she's compiling the list of people who respond and she'll have um, that open until April 12th. And then she's going to send the list to the consultant. I looked at it as well, and it actually looks really, really cool and really valuable to, to this group and just society in general. I'm, I'm excited about it. So, And the climate action staff will all be doing it as well. So you'll be in good company. All right, moving on from there, I'm just going to throw it over to Megan Hill briefly to talk about our AmeriCorps recruitment activities. Yeah, so... Um, we're gearing up to recruit for not only our summer members, but our full-time AmeriCorps members. Summer members will start either at the end of May or beginning of June. They kind of have two dates they can choose from, depending on their schedule, uh, usually with college. And um, we have one confirmed member. Parks and Rec needs two members, and we need one member. So... Um, that is a 300-hour commitment, and they just serve in the summer. And then our full-time recruitment um, will be happening at the same time, and uh, that is for four positions for 11 months, and that will be about 30 hours a week. Um, and they will start orientation like end of September, and then they'll be here in Iowa City uh, beginning of October. And they can learn more on the Green Iowa website, greeniowaamericorps.org, or email me. And we also included a flyer in the agenda packet. So if any of you know of places to hang up a flyer or perhaps um, are connected with clubs or organizations where that might be effective to recruit from, you have that flyer so you can print it out and distribute it as you see fit. Um, and then, as noted, we don't have an update from the working group um, working on our resilience hub prioritization other than to say right now um, that group is engaged in thinking about what kinds of things would we want to fund in our pilot and what kinds of things would we ask in return. Um, I know, for example, in our discussions we talked about um, asking a resilience hub to participate in an uh, emergency management plan, developing one, um, in part because of 
some really surprising statistics we heard from public health about businesses that don't have emergency contingency plans being out of business within three to five years of a disaster. And certainly we don't want to see that happen to nonprofits either. So um, that's something that we're considering asking for, you know, and then the other things that have come up in discussion, like would we ask them to host a climate resilience core training? Would we offer to fund solar panels? Would we offer to fund kitchen equipment, things like that? So if you have any fun suggestions on either end of that equation, um, do reach out to a working group meeting or staff, um, or a working group member or staff, and we'll include that into the discussion as well. This is Creer. Sorry, I had a quick question on the AmeriCorps. Um, is there a minimum age? Not for this program, uh, or yes, for this program, 17 for summer members. We ask that our full-time members be 18 um, because it's full-time. They can't really do high right. school and um, the 30-hour-a-week commitment as well. Okay, thank you. And that the program is statewide. Our high school members last year were amazing. They yeah. did great work, so. Yeah, and I, I should say there, there's no max age. Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. And that's it for announcements. All right, moving on to unfinished ongoing business, the IRA energy efficiency incentives. Yes. So as you know, one of the things that we're very deeply engaged with in our office is continuing to monitor funding opportunities under the IRA. One of the things in particular we've taken a close look at are the tax credits and rebates that are available related to energy efficiency. Um, we have developed actually a pretty full-bodied strategy for engaging the community with this. Part of that is the checklist that you was included in the packet and that you see before you. Um, one of the things we did was go through the rebates and incentives and think about how would a household maximize their benefits, right? There's an annual cap as well as um, a 10-year cap into in terms of what you can cash in on. And so we thought about how do you structure this? What do you do first? What do you do second? Um, and we wanted to provide that guidance because of course there's so much available under it, a person could easily become overwhelmed or forget about the incentives. So the first step in that was developing this checklist that contains those recommendations. A copy of this checklist is actually included in the booklet that's gonna go in the Energy Blitz kits, so it's being folded into other communications. And we have a, um, a companion slide deck that's been developed for this for community presentations with the vision that we would be going out, giving these presentations, handing out the checklist for folks to take home and hopefully getting the word out that way. Um, we actually have given a couple of the presentations already. Um, part of it was we were invited by uh, one of the realtors who participated in the training that we had discussed invited us to come to their office and talk about it. So we decided to use that as an opportunity to present this. The realtors in the office really loved it. In fact, the office manager uh, wrote back and said, we think we could get this certified for continuing education credits and we kind of want you to come back and do it again. Um, so we take that as a good initial indicator. 
We had hoped initially to give this presentation in this meeting so you all could see it yourselves, but we have such a packed agenda that um, if you'd like, we're happy to give that presentation. We could do it in the next meeting when things are a little lighter or in a future meeting. But at the very least, we wanted you to have the list of these incentives in front of you because I think it'll impact a discussion we're going to have about ARPA dollars um, a little later in the meeting um, because this meeting is packed with acronyms, if nothing else. <laughs> were there any questions about the checklist before we move on? Everything, this is Krieger again, everything on here is, um, the only thing that's city specific is the top one, the home energy audit, right, with the Green Amer Iowa AmeriCorps? Correct. Okay. Everything else is anywhere in the country? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and in fact, in our presentations that we give um, in the slide deck, we have a little point to, for folks who live outside of Iowa City, what they might do to get an energy audit. And we talk specifically about the importance of working with a contractor who's BPI certified. As you'll recall, we're quite proud of the fact that all of our AmeriCorps members are BPI certified to deliver those audits. But one of the notes of caution we're hearing as we participate in national conversations about this is because there's so much money available. Um, we might see contractors popping up who um, believe themselves to be qualified to do this work or um, believe they can fairly represent themselves as qualified. And so we just want to help and give some guidance about the kind of certifications you might look for um, in choosing a professional to work with. I will say, just as an end note, there is an address at the bottom um, about rewiring America slash app slash calculator. Um, one of the things we're really encouraging people is to go to that website specifically and plug in your own household information because the checklist tries to boil down some pretty complex information. The amount of tax credits you can get um, varies based on how many people you have in your household, what your income level is, even where you live in the country. Um, and so it's going to be a little spe more specific for each person. If you put that information into that calculator, it will tell you right away what you qualify for and then provide more information. So I encourage each of you to take a look at that app, or that app online and find out what you're qualified for, which I think will also help speak for it and think through a lot of these um, incentives. Sorry, one other question, this is Krieger. This is um, residential focused as well, even though there are the incentives for businesses. Correct. Um, the only ones on here that would be applicable to businesses are the solar and battery storage credits. These are residential focused. In um, one of the things we looked up, this is really interesting, in one of our presentations the question came up, could landlords apply for these? And landlords can't, but renters can. Mm -hmm. So if a renter wanted to purchase a um, let's say, a heat pump water heater for their home, they would be able to make that purchase and get the tax credits back and would hopefully talk to their landlord about some sort of equalizing rent reduction in return for making that purchase on behalf of the property. Um, but landlords, any sort of commercial entity can't apply for these, um, and you can't apply for them for second homes either. It needs to be your place of primary residence. 
So it's all those little nuances and asterisks. That's why we have the slide deck, because you can't possibly fit it all onto the sheet, but we wanted to give like at least some basic framework to get people starting to think about these things. Any other questions on that one? Uh, then moving on to the ARPA spending recommendation. So this next item comes at the specific request of the city council. Um, those of you who were on the commission two years ago, which I think is about two folks who are present, um, you may recall that when the city first found out we were going to be receiving um, America Recovery Plan Act, or ARPA dollars, the commission was asked to make some recommendations as to how we might spend it. Um, the city has been diligently spending that money. There is some possibility. <laughs> the glories of passive controls. <laughs> There is some possibility, although it's not a guaranteed possibility, that the city will be able to set aside as much as $500,000 of our remaining ARPA funds for a climate action project. The city council has asked the commission to take this question up again because, of course, a lot has changed in the last two years. If you look at the recommendations that were made by the Buildings Working Group, a lot of them were focused on energy efficiency interventions. As you know, we now have a fairly robust energy efficiency grant program up and running, and there are the incentives that are available under the IRA that are in the checklist, which is the other reason we included it. It is entirely possible. After reading through those recommendations, you may say these are still great recommendations and we continue to believe these should be the priority. Um, but it could be that looking at them, you can say these things seem to be covered in a way that they weren't two years ago and we're interested in seeing these dollars spent in other ways. Um, some potential uses that have come up there, I know there are some city council members who are interested in an e-bike voucher as one potential use for them. Um, one thing that I know was included in the initial recommendations that we haven't gotten to is the resilience hub. Possibly we could pair those dollars with the resilience hub pilot. Um, in the packet, in addition to the recommendations initially made by the Buildings Working Group, I included the initial um, letter that was sent to the Commission asking for these recommendations, including the guidance on what ARPA dollars can be spent on. And as you can see, it is pretty wide ranging. So the directive I got from the City Council was to come to you with this question about how we might spend the $500,000 and encourage you to dream big with a little b, not a big b. So um, I think that being said, what we'd like to do is open the floor for some discussion. This could be something that we resolve and agree on today, or it could be something that we have an initial discussion about today with an eye toward a more formal um, recommendation going out after our May meeting. Would anybody like to kick us off? Yeah, Fraser, uh, nothing, nothing new. I think I've said this before. Sustainability to me is one of the most important words along with equity that we should be thinking at as a commission. I'm kind of egotistic on telling you how you should be thinking. 
But my biggest concern is sustainability. What can we start that we can keep going? Where can we throw money that would be a solid foundation for future efforts that would grow and grow and grow and not just deplete and be gone and over and out and done? And that's not an easy thing to think about, but I think we should focus on that. I certainly think I should focus on that. This is Sturdivant. Um, Sarah, has the city, they're requesting our input regarding it, or did they have kind of, like with the e-bike voucher, did they have kind of a plan thought up, or are they just simply asking for our input? Um, I, I think there are, there are some ideas floating around, um, but I think they are asking for your input broadly on you know, what seems like a reasonable way to spend this money or what might have the biggest impact, given that you all are more familiar on a monthly basis with what's happening with the Climate Action Office and projects that are already underway. And what's in the Climate Action Plan, frankly. Like, um, it's also a nice opportunity to take a look at the Accelerated Action Plan and say maybe there's something in there that we haven't gotten moving yet. Um, could these dollars be applied toward that? I saw Michael taking herself off mute. I'm guessing, Michael, you may have something you'd like to say. Hi, yeah. Michael, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Um, yeah, so just uh, one way that I've been thinking about this is um, ways we could spend the money that might uh, pilot something new that then could hopefully grow or maybe be taken over um, in the private sector. Uh, I don't know if that's an appropriate way to think about it, but I'll kind of just, I just throw out a couple ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing I've been thinking about, and I know we talk about a lot, is waste and um, with our composting facility. And I'm wondering if there's a way to pilot. Um, I know one challenge has been in um, commercial composting. So I wonder if we could use this money to pilot um, a commercial composting system or business. Uh, another thought that kind of around neighborhood resiliency um, that would combine ideas with uh, food production and um, uh, food waste is to maybe pilot some kind of urban farm. Uh, so more than just a community plots, but um, a farm in a neighborhood that could really produce food for that neighborhood and then make use of the food waste coming out of those residential areas. Those are a couple things off the top of my head. I'll throw them out there. I can't see any of your faces. <laughs> <laughs> We're all smiling. Thank you for that, Michael. So 
So I try not to do this, but I'm going to speak again. Fraser, I apologize. Uh, I just came back from 17 days in Africa, and I spent a couple solid days sitting with young African leaders whose topic for the two days was how to accomplish climate action. And they represented 38 of the 54 African nations. And I thought I was at our meeting right here, listening to the challenges that each brought up. But the common theme was, pardon my French, we ain't going anywhere without leadership from the top. Now, sometimes we need to make a lot of noise at the bottom and in the middle to attract the top. So in addition to uh, sustainability, I think if we could create, and I, I like the idea of uh, creating a, a business, private business, somehow, though, I, I think one of our goals has got to be to get top leadership fired up. So whatever we do, it's got to be good for the political future of somebody who's going to be leading. Because if it's not good for their politics, they're not going to promote it. They're not going to lead it. So as, as, as well as doing good, I think we need to be really strategic and think about, from a strategy standpoint, what, what do politicians see that they could jump on and take credit for and get reelected that we're doing that they could join us in? If, if we're not doing that, pardon me, we ain't going anywhere. It's got to be from the top. Right now, I don't see it being uh, from the top in the state of Iowa. I'd like to think we'll get there. So we kind of have to start in the middle, but it's still leadership. And it's still very political. And it's still got to be something that's sustainable and that senior leaders, both political leaders and business leaders see a what's in it for me profit motive, whether it's being reelected or whether it's making more money. There's got to be sustainable profitability in it until it's, if we don't have that, it's not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. It's probably worth noting for the purposes of this discussion that um, much, Another portion of the ARPA funds um, have been carved out for economic development support um, based on a report that was done by ASTIG planning related to supporting uh, sort of ground up business development for underrepresented businesses here in Iowa City. So just mentioning it so you can factor it into the math. I have a couple of questions, Sarah. Yeah. Um, it would be page 14. It was originally the building group recommendations. Did that just go back to this commission and then not go beyond the commission? Um, no. So the building's working group recommendations um, were discussed among the commission as a whole. All of the working groups were actually charged with coming up with recommendations. In the end, nobody liked their recommendations better than what the building's working group had come up with. So we made those into the recommendations that were passed on to city council. So do we know if any of the funds up to this point impacted any of those recommendations or? That is great. Um, I know the first two in particular under support immediate economic stabilization and address uh, st systemic challenges to help retain and create jobs. A lot of the funding so far has gone to that kind of business support and um, helping residents who 
um, didn't get relief funds otherwise, in part. Um, but in terms of the one specific recommendations from the Climate Action Commission, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of the funds being ARPA funds specifically being spent on any of these recommendations to date. So one more question then, um, with the discussion on the resilience hubs, is the pilot program contingent on funding like this, or is there another source for that? Um, we we are looking at tapping into the uh, levy that we use to fund other climate action programs. Um, we're committed to having a pilot go forward. This would be a much larger pool of money than we're able to dedicate from that. So it could be a much bigger pilot, either in terms of what we offer an individual uh, community-based organization to be a resilience hub, or in terms of how many we can roll into that. I mean, if it helps put it into perspective, when we talked about piloting, we were looking at funding that with about $50,000 for the first pilot. This would be potentially, and again, this is also worth remembering, other priorities may take precedent over it, but assuming we get the funding, it would be $500,000 that would be dedicated. And we can split it multiple ways, too. That's also an option. Uh, this is Krieger. Um, and looking over the initial recommendations, I agree still with all of them. I think, though, you know, the ARPA funds were really about, I think, predominantly public health, right, because it, it came out during the pandemic. And and so in my mind, you know, under that heading, that might be a priority. The resilience hubs are in that. Um, and I think there's a good impact there, uh, synergy with the adaptation aspect, which I think is something that we have not been great at addressing on a large scale yet. Um, but there are other, I think, potential public health actions within the uh, climate action plan that might be worth um, maybe allocating some dollars to those as well. Um, so in my mind, that works out really well. And then I'm also thinking about later on in the next item on the agenda, there's a comment in there about, well, if we do energy benchmarking, is something else you know, going to be prioritized? Well, maybe this funding will help right, keep that as a priority. <laughs> so. You know, if there's an impact there, you know, I think maybe we just try to plug the holes. I think where we, you know, if we have certain dollars that can go, that the, the ARPA funds can't go to, then the ARPA funds potentially could fill in those priorities. Mm -hmm. This is Gade, and um, I appreciate that comment too about uh, how it's public health focus. It really is. I've watched, um, even with the county going through how, you know, all of that, um, along with the city, which I've, kind of paid a little less attention to, but um, yeah, it's, there are definitely lots of opportunities. Um, but my question was gonna be if, uh, I guess what the timeline looks like for um, giving a recommendation to city council. Um, ideally, if we, I would say by the next meeting, we could come up with a list and send it their way. We don't know exactly when the funds yeah. might be available. Um, and we wanna, we wanna give you time to mull it over appropriately, right? Um, but we also kinda wanna be timely in getting the recommendation to them. We could, if you feel like this, is, this conversation is enough, we can always make it based on this conversation today. Um, and that's entirely up to you if you'd like to do that or you say, let's carry it forward and finalize our recommendations next month. That works too. 
this is Krieger again. I mean, one thing we could do is send because it sounds like there's maybe some other ideas floating out there. Um, it maybe maybe it's worth um, as an action item us sending kind of what our initial thoughts are to you to get included into the agenda for next time and then just finalize during the discussion. Yeah, and they'll be in the minutes too, so we can pull from here. Um, but certainly those who weren't able to be with us today, uh, we can loop them in. Can I ask about one item just because it's been specifically discussed by the City Council, um, and that's related to developing an e-bike voucher program, um, whether there's appetite for that among the Commission, what our general thoughts or feelings on that might be? Uh, this is Krieger, I guess in my mind, I would look to kind of the requirements on that page from the Treasury on the, the use of the funds, and and I don't know that it's specific to something like that. Um, maybe on an, on an equity focus, I know transportation is certainly an area where we've struggled to get, and we're having challenges there with ridership on public transit. Um, but I also see that you might already be um, incentivizing the group that owes already writing, so I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Um, this is Simmons. Um, I feel like um, it seems like an e-bike voucher, like it's like cool, but I feel like there are other things that you could do that would do multiple things to like help, and I feel like an e-bike voucher is very like, here's this one tiny thing that'll help this one specific aspect a little bit versus like these other ideas or even like on the um like the working group one like the last one on here that's like reducing impervious surfaces that would do like five different things that would like help the climate between like storm water and also like temperature and also like there's like and i don't know like a classes i'm learning about this but um like there is proven that it does like having more essentially like nature can help people's mental health and like physical health also if you want to go outside more if there's more interesting things out there that like something like that that would do more than just one thing I think is a lot more valuable than something that's really only addressing one part of one problem those ideas impact more people than an individual bike yeah Fra Fraser again I can't afford an e-bike and I'm very concerned about the equity part of that I, I love the concept and I'm thinking equity and I'm going wow who's gonna get excited because they're gonna save I don't know what the credit would be but $500 off a $3,000 e-bike and that uh, that's gonna leave a lot of people out of the picture I know you can get cheaper e-bikes but they're pretty pricey for what it's worth I think this is something that we've wrestled with a bit in our office as well the equity question specifically attached to e-bikes um, I can say that initially when we looked at it we thought well we, could we structure it like root for trees where you get a voucher directly um, in cooperation with the local bike shops, so we're supporting a local business with it, um, and most residents would qualify for half off, and then if your income qualified, you would get 80% off an e-bike. E-bikes tend to run around $2,000, so half off is still asking someone to provide $1,000 to a bike. Um, one of the things we looked at is Given that and given the equity concerns, would it make more sense to provide a cost in full or a $2,000 voucher that could be used um, on the bike of choice and prioritizing uh, transit-dependent households as a starting place um, so that if you 
don't have other means of locomotion, um, you would have the potential to get a bike in full. Um, we also looked at uh, maybe making an 80% voucher available to residents who are aged 65 and older um, because anecdotally at least, and we still need to do some digging to see if we can find any hard data on this, that's an age where people tend to stop cycling, so it would be a way of encouraging ongoing active transportation and then a maybe a $1,000 or 50% off voucher for um, the population that doesn't fit into those categories, it would probably have to be run on a lottery system similar to, or at least for the general public, it would need to be run on a lottery system similar to Denver. Um, we think for the full vouchers for the transit dependent, we wouldn't have to do make that same requirement. We could just let people apply and fund it. Um, when we were initially looking at a program like this, here too, we were thinking about a pilot program that's $50,000. $50,000 if you're paying half on a, off on a bike is gonna buy about 25 bikes. It's not a lot. Um, that picture looks quite different with $500,000. I'll say that if we put it behind, that's a lot more bikes you could buy. That's a level that might, might begin to show up in the data. But um, I think I'm mentioning all of this not to sway you one way or the other to say, well, gosh, we really should go for the e-bikes, but to say, here's how we've been thinking about some of these questions. And like, I'm so appreciative of you bringing up these questions because it suggests like we are also thinking in similar ways about it. So that's valuable for us. Um, and I will also say just broadly, this is, even if we don't get the $500,000, this is still a valuable conversation for us, much like the conversation we had um, at the end of the year about how we might spend EECBG dollars. Um, one of the recommendations that came up from that was about funding a revolving loan fund. And it turns out that, that there's some real difficulties that um, I think would be prohibitive in using EECGB funds for it. But it did get us thinking about how might we use revolving loan programs in general, right? And so it still funnels into other programming. I really appreciate that. And I don't want to appear cynical. I'm thinking about sustainability again. And I'm thinking about, and I'm a bad guy to ask about this because I try to escape Iowa for as long as I can every winter. <laughs> but that's not a 12-month program. And de depending on your attitude about winter, you know, you got four or five months that uh, you're not going to be on your e-bike that I'd love to see something still going and not have it cut off and out of sight, out of mind, and uh, no longer gaining momentum and growing just because it's winter and now we have to fire it up again in the summer. Again, I'll, a little bit of seasonality, but also some equity. Uh, in Rotary, for a number of years, I ran the warm coat program for uh, underprivileged children. And uh, God, I'm thinking equity again. They can't afford a coat. So, or they're gonna, parents can't afford a coat for their kid or shoes for their kid. And I'm very concerned that they're not gonna be excited about a half price e-bike at $1,000 off. Oh. Yeah. I'll, I'll go away now. <laughs> I was going to say, um, to add to that, this is Gade. I suppose um, with the e-bike, with the vouchers, whatever way you do it, eligibility calls would be really difficult too and would be a pretty large burden um, probably on, on staff here to make those calls and to figure out just generally who's eligible. Um, I know the county ran into the program with a direct um, assistance 
and making those eligibility calls are, are very tough. Um, also, that's a lot of bikes. If it's five hundred thousand dollars, it's safety concerns as well. Um, you know, we have it's a pretty bikeable community. It's really great, but also you add that much. Um, I guess that many bikers on the road, you know, we, you might run into some safety issues, um, making sure folks wear helmets, you know, that's not a law. Um, so I would say that that's, it could open a can of worms, I suppose there. Um, also upkeep of e-bikes, I'm not quite sure how much it is, but I would assume it's a little more expensive than a regular bike to um, upkeep that for the year, so. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pieces there. I would have a lot of questions on if that's something we would go for. But I like the thinking process. The process is what's important, not whether it's e-bikes or not. Mm -hmm. I think we're going the right direction, which makes me wonder if we're if we're required to submit this after our next meeting. Can we leave some time in our next meeting to brainstorm this a little further if we're further along and we're this close but not quite there so we can keep each other? Uh... Absolutely. Um, we can carve out time in the next agenda to discuss it. We'll actually have a council member with us at the next meeting. Um, uh, so that'll be valuable. And if we don't come, like if we don't come to a conclusion about here's a list, you know, we don't have, and that's the other thing, we don't have to zero in on one thing. We can say these four or five things we think would be great potential uses for this funding. Um, we can always finalize that, like we can get a draft memo going and send it out via email. I saw Michael uh, went off mute. And we can't hear her. Are you speaking, Michael? Oh, it looks like Michael is. I've got the volume turned on. Oh, you're back on, on mute. Hang on. All right, go ahead, Sorry, Michael. I can, Michael. Hear, I can hear you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. I don't know. Oh. We can hear you now, Michael. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I'm just wondering about the process of this, and it's hard, I think, in a meeting to... We're sort of hearing a lot of ideas and we've gone in detail into detail about one of them but it's hard to discuss and prioritize um ideas i think in this format and i'm i know we don't have like it's hard i don't know the right way to like i feel like we need a little working group if we can have like a rapid fire working group to get together and collate some of these ideas and talk through them in the way that the building group did before and sort of say here's We've had some time to think think this out a little bit, and here are some of the ideas, um, and then do one last round through the full commission to prioritize within that or something. Is that is that possible? Is that crazy? Um, ordinarily, I'd say yes. Let's have a working group. Just be um, ordinarily, that is how we would approach it. In this particular instance, because we're being asked to give a recommendation pretty quickly. Um, and because we don't have to zero in on one recommendation and um, because we don't know if we'll get the funding or not, um, it, 
probably makes more sense to just keep it within the commission as a whole, like to have this initial discussion and we can compile a list of the items that came forward during this discussion that we can then take up in the next meeting. And we can say if um, in the next meeting, we can determine if there are any we want to cross off the list, if there are any we want to add to the list and maybe try to determine what we would think the top three priorities would be. Um, with the awareness that ultimately the call is not going to be made by us, and that's the other part of this. You know, as you saw with the um, last recommendation, it was a list of suggestions, and then the, it was up to the city council to determine if they wanted to fund any one or all of them. Um, so really, we're brainstorming so that they can zero in on it, if that makes sense. And that's probably why we would keep it out of a working group. Under any other circumstances, though, Michael, yes, 100%. This is Sturdivant. And re regarding, like, the, you know, specifically e-bike vouchers, my concern is availability. You put a run on 300 e-bikes or something like that. How is that going <laughs> to, can bike shops handle that? Is, are they available? So that's kind of my concern there. I'd also like to see it tied into something beyond just bikes as Fitzsimmons mentioned you know hey let's work with our transportation department to say if your bike runs out of battery you can take the bus you can go on these nature trails things like that so not oh you get a bike that's it it'd be nice to have something broader mm -hmm. for that um and then regarding kind of recommendations would it be possible to like email like have commission members email a few recommendations and then we could make a list or do a poll instead of a working group just have kind of here's the few things that most commission members see as a um well we can't discuss it as a group over email because of open meetings law um, what we can do is send a list to the group as a whole um, based on what we've heard come up in the meeting today and uh, we'll check that against the recording of the meeting to make sure we didn't lose anything. And then we can uh, have that list. We can email it out ahead of the meeting so you have it in front of you and can be thinking about it and can continue to brainstorm. Um, and I'll also say this is the dream big with a little b portion of this. Like I think it is wholly appropriate and really wonderful to bring up any um, potential concerns like availability of bikes or equity, and we can include that in our list. Like if we pursue this program, here would be key considerations um, for staff to work through. But um, I do want to say like staff, any ideas that you bring up, staff can chew on those. Like we um, have already talked um, uh, briefly a little with bike shops, for example, or we could reach out to the poor farm. Um, related to Michael's idea and say, what do you think of starting another urban farm in the area or any little question like that. And I don't, I don't, shouldn't say little question, any question like that, like that's what staff are here to do is to figure out how to make something work based on the feedback that you all give us. So you can say, we want this, but we want it to really be equity focused. And then we can come back and say, this is what we think that looks like. So you don't have to solve for all the issues. It's a team effort. Your job is to dream the dreams. Our job is to work through the nightmares. <laughs> Should we plan on doing that then? Just having like a list of things for the next meeting. And so that way we don't 
you know, violate any laws and we don't have to, you know, so set up a working group or anything. Sounds good. Why don't we do this? When we get the, we usually get the draft minutes back somewhere around two weeks after the meeting. Um, we'll come through it and send you that list out. And then uh, we'll all be prepared to take this discussion up again in the next meeting. Quick question. Can you, is it allowable to do live polling during these meetings? Like if we set it up in Zoom or another technology app? I have no idea. Because <laughs> we do that in our meetings all the time with, with uh, visioning workshops. So I'm wondering if we could do something similar here just to sort of help people facilitate the decision making process. Um, yeah, we'll add that to the actionable items. Staff will look into what, if live polling is possible or if there's some equivalent that we could do. Okay. I can share resources if you would like. <laughs> you know, worst case scenario, um, one of the things I used to do in my previous job as a planner is we used to do bean polling where we would give everybody three beans and you could put all three beans in a jar or you could divide it among three different jars or two in one and one in another. At the very worst case scenario, we will show up with mason jars and beans. <laughs> Thank you. Should we move on to new business then regarding energy benchmarking? That would be great. <laughs> I will let you take it. All right. All right. So we're going to call Andrew Parr to the podium. He is um, working in the city manager's office. Um, and has been helping us research our energy benchmarking uh, um, items from the Climate Action Plan. Um, just to put a little context around this, where we're at now is that, as you know from the memo, the Climate Action Plan, and well, broadly, and the Accelerated Action Plan specifically has two items included in it related to energy benchmarking. In preparation for enacting those, we reached out to a number of different cities and we took a look at um, several different programs to see what they looked like to try to think through, um, as staff do, what a program like that might look like here. Um, we ran into, the conversations were very interesting. We ran into some pros and cons both ways based on the feedback we were hearing from cities that have already done this work. Um, and so, as we decided, as we needed to come back to the commission and say, as a commission, mm. is this an item that we want to ask the city council to pass an ordinance on, which is what we would need to do to have a benchmarking program. They need to pass an ordinance requiring all buildings above a certain square footage to start reporting their energy usage data to us on an annual basis. Um, of course, the, <laughs> the random element in this is we, as we were preparing to come to you with this, of course, the state legislature took up a potential preemption bill, which we have included so that you could see the specific language. And so that now becomes part of the discussion as well. Does it um, make sense to move forward if we think it might get preempted? If we do move forward, what form should it take so that we would hopefully skirt those requirements? And I do want to be very clear, like, I, I think it's... I think it's the path to chaos to try to decide whether or not we should do something based on whether or not something else may or may not happen. Like, there's just so many unknowns there, right? So our job is to figure out what we think the best recommendation might be, you know, and based on these different factors of which that is just one, if that makes sense. So 
Andrew's here. He's going to take you briefly through the uh, research that he initially did, much of which is contained within the memo. We wanted to create an opportunity for you all to ask any questions about it. And then at the end of this conversation, what we would like to do is form a working group that's going to meet for about three months to dig into this a little more deeply because it is a pretty complex issue. Um, the working group will then come back to the Climate Action Commission with their best recommendation. We'll open it up for a broader discussion as to whether the commission wants to move forward on the working group's recommendation, um, and then we'll take that to city council. All right, Andrew, take us away. All right, so uh, I just wanted to give you a really quick rundown of what benchmarking is and, and what it looks like. So um, what is it, first of all? Uh, essentially, it's a legal requirement. Most often, it's an ordinance uh, given by a city that um, the largest buildings in, in the city report their energy usage data to, to the city, and it's always using Energy Star Portfolio Manager, um, which I did see a stat that about 50% of all buildings, all building area in the US is already benchmarked in uh, Portfolio Manager, which is something interesting to think about. Um, so that usage, it depends on what city or what the city wants to know, and many of them choose all, all energy usage, but some will leave out water, but it can include electricity, water, natural gas, even propane tanks, um, really any kind of energy usage that the city is interested in. Um, as Sarah mentioned, there's that bill that passed the Iowa House, HF 605, and the language in it does not accurately define benchmarking. Um, it, is more of a description of building performance standards, which I will briefly mention, and it is also detailed in the memo a little bit. Um, the main goal of benchmarking overall, which this kind of movement started about mm, 12 years ago, uh, I think one of the first cities to pass a ordinance was New York City. And so the, the goal is to raise awareness among building owners or managers, who, whoever is kind of in charge of reporting this data. And they, you know, the goal is to actually sort of force these people to look at the look at their data, what are their buildings using, and the hope is that they will act on that data. They will see, oh, we're, you know, we're wasting a lot of energy in, in this process and we can we can save our own money and help the climate by by addressing this. So it, it is more of a um, it's more of a data intense uh, practice and it's a little bit more about cities learning that data, like like actually seeing what data uh, comes out of individual buildings. Um, Iowa City, in the most recent update, 78% uh, of total emissions in Iowa City were found to come from buildings. So we know that emissions from buildings is a big issue, and there really isn't anything, any existing laws that regulate it at all. Um, so it's it's a very big opportunity. Um, as Sarah said, it's called for in that uh, fourth regulation objective for buildings in the accelerated plan. Um, as I mentioned, this whole benchmarking movement is spearheaded by the big cities that have championed it. So that's New York, Seattle, Minneapolis is a nearby one that has really taken it away. Um, and so a lot of my research was looking at these these larger cities and also some smaller cities because it this has been around for about 12 years so 
51 jurisdictions have passed it. Most of them, 44 of them are cities. A few states have, including some states that have these cities in them, such as Washington and um, Maryland. Um, and what's interesting is that they all start with benchmarking. Benchmarking is kind of step one. It's the uh, less regulatory option. And then from there, these cities generally add on new requirements that, are, that have more force behind them. So the next step is usually requiring some sort of energy assessment, whether it's an audit, a tune-up, or retro commissioning. They kind of all have different names, but they're all mostly the same thing, requiring buildings to actually have an assessment done of their building. And normally it starts out with requiring that these assessments are done and that these building owners see recommendations from these assessments for how to improve efficiency or reduce waste. And there's usually no requirement to actually act on those recommendations yet. So then the next step is uh, requiring building owners to get these assessments, whichever kind it is, and then requiring them to act on the recommendations. So that's kind of the, the first step of actually requiring action that changes your energy consumption or emissions. Um, and then the last step, which is more of a new movement that is really only started in the past couple years or so, is building performance standards. And kind of the gold star for that is, I think in New York City, they're kind of the most far along in this. And that is kind of what what everyone would want to have. It would be the easy option if we all just wanted to regulate buildings and their emissions. It's uh, designating a target that they have to hit. So you're telling them, you know, you can choose a metric. It can be emissions. It could be uh, electricity usage, water usage, whatever. And it's actually just requiring that these buildings hit those marks. So it's a very kind of big spectrum from benchmarking, which is very optional action. Just here's information that you normally might not look at to building performance standards requiring you to do something. Um, so the research, we, we met with uh, people in the sustainability offices of both Des Moines and Kansas City to actually talk about their existing benchmarking programs. Um, so from my research, we kind of gathered some best practices. So the essential components of any benchmarking program are in Appendix B uh, threshold, so the size threshold exemptions. Every uh, ordinance kind of has exemptions types of buildings generally that are exempt, and then how to deal with compliance, because that's probably one of the biggest issues with benchmarking, making sure that these buildings comply. Um, so other components that aren't listed in that appendix are just additional requirements, so kind of like I was talking about tune-ups tune or energy uh, assessments, or um, there's always some outreach component. You have to reach out to these businesses or or whatever the entity is and actually help them along in this process. You can't expect them to kind of respond on their own. And then there's also a data management component. So someone in city staff has to go in to portfolio manager and actually look at all this data. So um, the kind of rationale like why, like do, do these programs work? The classic statistic that is given by an EPA study, which was done about a decade ago, so this is old, uh, annual average of 2.4% in energy cost savings for regularly benchmarked buildings. Um, so 2.4% reduction in energy, or 
increase in energy cost savings, so reduction in your costs. Um, more recently, there was a study done that combined a bunch of studies. So this, this uh, metric is a little more accurate. It found a range of 3 to 8 uh, percent average reduction in gross energy consumption or energy use intensity over two to four years of any implemented benchmarking program. So that one is a little bit more, um, takes, takes data from different studies uh, and kind of averages them. So that 2.4%, many of the existing benchmarking programs cite that number. However, it is a little bit old, but it is still um, somewhat motivating. Uh, the, uh, Another important thing that uh, these benchmarking programs usually cite is how many buildings are covered by this ordinance, and then what's the percentage of building area that those buildings cover, because it's usually kind of surprising. So, you know, New York City might say, uh, we have 50 buildings that are covered by this, but that covers about 70% of total building area. So it's kind of showing the community that, you know, not that many buildings are actually included in these ordinances, but look how much of the total building inventory is actually covered by it. Um, so the main findings and takeaways, one thing that is not in the memo that I wanted to tell you all is that the Iowa Economic Development Authority, um, I'm not sure when it started, but they currently are, uh, fund the, uh, a private contracting company called B3 Benchmarking, which is part of Wilden. Um, they basically, they fund that company so that they can do benchmarking for public buildings for free in Iowa. And that program is ending in June, at the end of June this year. So this is something that, you know, cities could have already been, you know, engaging in, but that opportunity is going away. Uh, B3 Benchmarking is willing to continue doing these benchmarking, uh, doing benchmarking for cities, but they would have to now pay a fee. Um, and then so other, the other takeaways that I just wanted to mention right here before we go into questions are compliance is the biggest problem. Um, I think with our meeting in Kansas, for with Kansas City, I believe they said that their compliance rate was about 60%. Um, so not great, but actually if you look across most of these benchmarking programs, they'll often give you like their compliance rates, and that's pretty average actually. They'll usually start a little higher, especially when the threshold might start at like 50,000 and then go to 25,000 square feet later, and so you'll have way higher compliance, but then when you bring that threshold down, it'll, it'll drop. Um, the, uh, it's not very common for these building owners or managers to like act significantly on this data. Sometimes there's success stories of, of a building manager that really wanted to change a bunch of things and kind of took it upon themselves to act on this data, but it's not necessarily that common of a occurrence. Um, and then the other challenges that we would face with benchmarking is just there's that potential for inaccurate data. You're relying on these building owners or managers, especially some of them who might be like mom and pop apartment owners, um, to input this data. And they may, they may not be that concerned with the accuracy. And then the city is on the receiving end. Um, and then we have, as, as mentioned, the state legislative environment. They have a bill that's titled energy benchmarking, um, likely because of Des Moines activities. But again, this bill that's in 
the legislature right now wouldn't affect benchmarking as, as defined here. Um, and then there's that administrative burden component. Outreach, data management, just setting up the program is, is a decent amount of hours for city staff. So I'd like to open it up for questions you have. I know that was a lot of information. <laughs> This is Krieger, I can kick us off. Um, thank you for bringing it to and doing all that research. Um, being in the building industry, I am in favor of energy benchmarking for other benefits as well. But um, I think, and I'm very familiar with the B3 program, um, having worked with those consultants and, um, and what they do in other states uh, with that program. So uh, I'm certainly an advocate for that, but I'll open it up to others to see what other questions are. This is Sturdivant. I had a question. Are are there going to be or have you seen any potential federal requirements to get in on federal funding of some of these buildings or anything? Um, no, I haven't seen any federal support whatsoever for benchmarking, but I will say that there is um, the Biden administration put a, I believe it's a commission together um, or it's kind of an alliance for bu those building performance standards. So one interesting thing is that because benchmarking is sort of relatively old in, in kind of the climate movement, um, building performance standards is sort of already <clears throat> taking center stage and sort of overshadowing benchmarking. So you know the federal support would be for those more stringent building performance standards, <clears throat> but the benchmarking is sort of being left behind in a way by federal. Grim, so just so I can wrap my head around this, is it accurate to say that benchmarking really kind of affects older buildings versus modern buildings being designed now with those higher standards? I think benchmarking would for sure highlight much more issues with those older buildings because those are going to be the ones that have, you know, lots of problems with efficiency and probably have more waste as well. So I would argue, yes, it would probably be more effective at, at you know, changing these metrics for those older buildings, because if it's a brand new building that has, you know, sort of those energy assessment features built in, um, you know, there's not, there's not going to be as many opportunities to actually reduce usage or emissions. So yes. Uh, John Fraser, uh, nice job. I would demand a pay raise if I were you. <laughs> uh, t explain again, what's, the, what's this legislature doing that may preclude this, and why are they uh, going after that? So I'm, we are assuming that it's because Des Moines has a benchmarking program. So Des Moines is the only city in the state, the only jurisdiction in the state that currently does benchmarking. Um, the bill is kind of a simple preemption. There's not much to it. It's essentially just banning the practice of benchmarking. Um, it's interesting that it doesn't actually, um, you know, use the definition that of like what benchmarking is. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's more of like, you know, the state just may not be that friendly toward climate, you know, policies in general. You think? I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> well, this is pretty great. If you look at the if you look at the language of the bill, it, it does say that um, it, it's it's where a program or an ordinance requires a decrease in the average energy use of a property. 
Um, so in other words, it's, it's telling landowners what they have to do to their building to decrease energy rather than just a transparency program, which is what benchmarking really is. So, so likely not applying. <laughs> now we're back to leadership at the top. <laughs> Seriously. And we could, um, it sounds funny to say, but if we moved forward with the program, we could call it something else. We could call it energy transparency. Mm -hmm. um, and then make it very clear that we're not asking anybody to decrease their energy usage. We just want to know what their energy usage is. Um, and that would not be preempted by this bill as worded. They could come up with another bill the following year, but, you know, I could win the lottery in another year. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, there's another bill out there this year that uh, uh, revokes energy, uh, the energy code for residential properties. So Entirely. Entirely. <laughs> Um, in the interest of time, since we know we have to be out of here at 450, I'll say that basically there are about four paths forward that um, the working group would take up. One would be to say, yes, go for it. This is what we think um, it should entail. Like these are the building sizes you should look at. These are the kinds of exemptions we think um, we would recommend. These are the incentives that might be paired with it to make it viable. Um, and then bring that back to the commission and we would pass it on to the city council. Um, the working group could say, given, given some challenges that seem to face a program like this, we think it merits more discussion. We'd like to wait and see what happens with the legislature or with Des Moines or where energy usage is next year, you know, we want some time for staff to figure out the kinks. And so rather than implementing this in 2023, we're going to make it a phase three project and we'll look to implement it in 2024, 2025. Um, or the working group could say, this seems like now is not the time. We don't know that there will be a time in the foreseeable future. We think we can achieve these objectives doing something else. So we're going to table this item for these reasons. And because it's in the accelerated action plan, we just want to articulate here's why we're not pursuing it at this time. Um, or <laughs> we could say the working group could say, um, for a variety of reasons, we don't think this is the thing we want to pursue, but here's some alternative program that we think actually achieves what we want to achieve with a program like this. So we're going to recommend instead of doing energy benchmarking, we pursue this other thing, like working with the industrial assessment centers to work with industrial entities in Iowa City. And as you can imagine, just hearing those four things, there's some complexities with all of them, which is why we want to take it into a working group. So what we would like to do is form a working group for this, and also I'm so sorry that we didn't have more time, um, for Megan is going to be heading up a working group related as we're thinking ahead to our next Goldie campaigns. One of the things we asked the um, marketing group we worked with that they weren't able to get to was some more detailed thinking about audiences. So sort of how do, what are the key messages we want to have to audience, particular audiences? Let's say we want to reach renters specifically. What are the key considerations there? Um, and doing some um, persona profiling for the marketing study. So what we'd like to do is get three names of folks who would like to sign up to be on the energy benchmarking working group and three names of folks who would like to work with Megan on marketing. Um, and if you are already serving on the uh, Resilience Hub working group, 
Um, unless you say otherwise, we assume you want to continue working on that rather than jump on one of these. So let's start with energy benchmarking. Do we have volunteers for the energy benchmarking working group? Krieger's raising his hand. Matt, uh, it looks like Frazier, uh, Frazier, sorry, yeah, Frazier, Krieger, <laughs> who've now become one entity, Frazier, <laughs> and Shetty. And Shetty will have joined. Thank you. And then for the marketing working group, do we have three volunteers for that? This is Gate. I have a question. Um, what's the timeline look like on that one? Are you looking to, like, within the next three months, have something? So I was hoping our first meeting would be in May, and we would have three to four meetings, and it'd be about one a month. And I think what we really want, actually, is two volunteers and an alternate, because I know Michelle Silman has expressed an interest in working with that. So we'll have Michelle tentatively, and if it doesn't work for her, then we would take the alternate. Um, so could we have two volunteers? And Sturdivant. Sturdivant? <coughs> Simmons. Jamie, I think we've got um, we've got an island, heat island mapping project we may loop you into. Wonderful, yes, that, that <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> all right, thank you, Andrew, yeah. so much for all your work. Thank you to the commissioner. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to ask for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll try to get Andrew involved in the first working group meeting. He is about to graduate, so we're about to lose his services, but we have all his excellent notes. Um, but I will say, if you have any questions specifically for Andrew, if you would note them down and email them to us so we can roll them into the discussion, that'd be great. Should we move on to recap? Yeah. One, one question. What's the timeline for this group? Uh, it's going to be about three months, too, we think. Okay. We'll get a meeting set up um, for later this month, May and June, with the aim of coming back in July for um, a broader discussion. We've got some wiggle room. Panic attack that it's due, like, next week. <laughs> and, uh, what I just volunteered for. Thank you. I also have that nightmare. <laughs> All right. So then just to confirm, our next meeting is going to be Monday, May 1st. It's going to be here in Emma J. Harvett Hall from 3.30 to 5 again. Um, and in terms of actionable items, let's see. I'm trying to get down names while I'm speaking, which never works. Um, we're going to uh, compile a list based on the minutes from this meeting about the possible ARPA usage funds and email that out to you in advance of the next meeting. So we'll be carrying that item forward for discussion again next meeting. Um, Daniel's going to follow up with the Climate Action Grant Committee for a date to meet and review those applications. Um, if it's all right with you, given all the things we're discussing, we'll look to give an IRA presentation at a future meeting. It may not be next month's meeting. It may be the meeting after, depending on what's in the agenda. Does that work for everyone? Um, and then Dan, Daniel's going to follow up with Fraser, Shetty, and Krieger about the benchmarking working group. And um, Megan is going to follow up with Fitzsimmons, Silman, and what's the name? I don't have Sturdivant about the marketing working group. Sound good? Anything I have forgotten? Are we good? <laughs> uh, all right, so next meeting will be Monday, May 1st, 3.30 to 5, in the same location. Motion to adjourn. I'll move to adjourn. 
Krieger. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 There we go. Thanks so much for your time today.